Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October the 23rd, 2019. This is episode 2536 of the Survival Podcast. Expert council member and good friend Gary Collins is going to be on the air with us in just a moment. Today we're talking about his new book called The Simple Life Guide to Financial Freedom, Free Yourself from the Chains of Debt, and Find Financial Peace. Gary's a good dude. We're going to talk about really re, you know, re, rebooting your entire life. That's what his entire Simple Life series has been about. This is the fourth book in his series, probably his sixth or eighth appearance on the show as a full-on guest, and he's, of course, on the show probably every other week or so uh, with answering your questions from the expert council. So we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do, let me tell you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Ready-Made Resources, the company that says what it does and does what it says, providing you all the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go on their website, point-click and buy with excellent service and excellent pricing. They are the company that I've said over and over about. They do what they say and say what they do. Ready-made resources, all in the name. Ready-made, ready to go on their website. And they have it all, from the practical to the tactical and everything in between. You know where to find it, readymaderesources.com. Next up today, knifekits.com. Look, guys, I mean, Knife Kits makes it so easy to get started making knives. I can make a knife. If I can make a knife, anybody can make a knife. I, I know a lot, how to do a lot of things. I've got a lot of skill sets I've developed. I only have so much time, and you can't be good at everything. But even I, with basic knowledge of how to use hand tools and how to sand wood, can make a knife by going to knifekits.com, picking out some handle material and a kit. And even if I didn't know how to do it, I could get some books and DVDs there that help walk me through the process so I can do it right. And you can find everything there from you know your really simple kits that just make it where you can be the person that makes the final personalized touches on it. Or you can get raw materials if you're a master bladesmith and you can find anything that you need no matter where you are on that walk as a knife maker. Check them out today, knifekits.com. Remember, both of these guys have been with us over nine years, so ten years I'd say now. Uh, both of these companies have been, you know, were some of the very first sponsors of this show we ever had. Uh, they've been loyal to us, so consider doing business with them. And remember, both do discounts for MSB members as well. With that, I want to get into things quickly today because it's kind of a longer interview with Gary. But there's a, one thing I wanted to remind you of, and that's the bourbon-cooled Sumatran coffee that I've partnered with Nicole Sauce on. And I say partnered with. I want to explain my, my role in this. I came up with the concept of a medium to a light-roasted coffee cooled with bourbon using a, a, a street vendor technique from Vietnam where they use vodka to do this. And uh, Nicole was kind enough to put together probably 20 different coffees in the beginning, uh, different roast levels, different beans, etc., and send them to me. And I sampled them all, and I, I keyed in on this Sumatran um, bean from the man. Uh, it's a man-helding variety of Sumatran coffee grown in northern Sumatra. And we released this last year, and it sold out, like, really fast. We released, like, 100 pounds of it. And so this year she got 200 pounds of it. Well, this year that region of Sumatra had like the perfect year. The right temperatures, the right amount of rain. Like this is like the best crop they've ever turned out. Uh, and Nicole released, uh, was able to obtain 200 pounds of this coffee. 
this is a micro-roasting operation she does with the air roasting. I think she roasts like 10 pounds at a time. It's just about as small business as it can get. I don't take any money from her. Basically, every time she sells 100 pounds, she sends me a couple. I get paid in coffee. Uh, I did this because I wanted to do something cool, and I wanted to help out Nicole Sauce. Because Nicole has been good to the show. She's provided amazing content. She supports my events. She's just an awesome woman, and I wanted to, 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 to provide something and help her out in a way. So that's why I got involved with this. So you're not, you're not supporting me when you buy this other than, you know, if she keeps selling it, I'll keep getting it for free. Um, what you're really doing is you're supporting Nicole Awesome Sauce because of the awesome stuff she does. And I'm telling you, this is a coffee that you will spoil guests with. This is something to give away as a gift. It's expensive. But as good as last year's was, this year's is flipping amazing. I have, I have never had a coffee like this. Um, it is stupid good. I'll just put it that way. I don't drink it every day, and I get it for free. But if you want it for Christmas and you want it to be freshly roasted, she'll even hold it for you. You can learn more. There's a post out on the blog today, like I promised you. So I just wanted to let you guys know about that. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and get on into it with our special guest today, Gary Collins. Hey, Gary. Welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man. Thanks for having me back on, Jack. Man, glad to have you on. Um, we have you on probably close to weekly. You're one of my expert council members that doesn't pike. So like when I send you a question or three in a day, I usually get like all of them back within a day or two. So most of the audience is familiar with you. You've probably been on the show at least half a dozen times with interviews. But for the new listener who just tuned in today for the first time, what is a Gary Collins and what the hell is he doing here on TSP? Yeah, we'll uh, give it the, the brief version. Uh, I have a longer detail in my book and my website. But I grew up uh, in a little small town in California. They do, exi- do exist. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, grew up poor, dumb, uh, dumb white kid from the middle of nowhere. Uh, went to co- went to college, made tried to make something myself. Spent half my life in the federal government as uh, military intelligence and as a special agent. Then uh, left and started over, rebooted my life, and basically went on this journey of life simplification of where I am today as an entrepreneur. Start off in health. That's where you found me. Started my own health company right out of the gate pretty close. Had all my own health issues just like everyone else and fixed them. And working for the FDA and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services for about half my government career kind of gave me some some really good insight to the health world. But, yeah, it's just been a journey, finding my life purpose. Gotcha, man. So um, you did start out in health and nutrition. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you did you didn't walk away from that you you brought it with you but you made a big shift in your life can you talk about like what made you do that to go from like a guy that was all about healthy eating coming mostly at this from a primal paleo diet um, exercise supplements all of those things and now you have this series called the simple life and then health and fitness is a piece of that but it's much more broad what made you make that shift. Yeah, you know, it was just part of the journey. Uh, the health company, gosh, how long did I run that? Six, seven years as a health company only. And I did our stuff. I was a college professor. I ran another health food company and, you know, did what it, what I needed to do to pay the bills and figure everything out. But I think it was more of just a natural progression. It happened organically in a way. I was, and it was good timing. I was kind of burned out on the natural health world as well. 
Uh, I'd been doing it for a while. I was working one-on-one with clients, doing consulting, speaking, and working with uh, football players, offensive linemen, strength conditioning, and helping them get into big colleges. That's I was working with a former Green Bay Packer uh, All-Pro who is also a sports agent. So it was kind of uh, following my dreams because the health side, I just found when I was in the government and being a lifelong athlete that I was doing it all wrong. I thought I'd been doing it right. I was doing it wrong, fixed it, wanted to help other people do it, but I kind of reached the end of the bandwidth on that too. I could only do so much, only affect so many people. I'm a big picture guy. I like helping people. I like teaching. And I was on your show. And uh, I, a dream of mine was always to live remotely again because I grew up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And I want to get back to that. I want to get back to a simple life. I'd been living in cities and dealing with stress and the government and you know everything, just life. And I was I was over it. I was done. And so on your show, I just said, hey, you go, hey, what are you up to? What do you have any projects at the end of an interview? I went, oh, yeah, about 20 acres going to be a house off the grid. And you can't even <laughs> hold on a second. You know, we need to talk about this. Where'd this come from? And, it, you know, it was just a life choice. And I'd published some health books, real basic, self-published, didn't know what I was doing. They weren't killing it, but they sold. So I was kind of a fledgling author as well. And I decided, well, I better document this project. I just literally started the project. I think I'd cleared a bit of a road on my property. I hadn't built anything. And I documented it, wrote a book called Going Off the Grid. And it took off. I put it on Amazon. I am a terrible marketer, always have been. I've been getting better. Did it all wrong. Threw it up there, and like I said, it became a Amazon bestseller in its categories. And so I'm still running a health company and have a supplement line, all that. And it's a cornerstone of what I teach today because I tell people the biggest elephant in the room in America is our health. That is the biggest one. We'll get more into that with the new book. And so I have a, you know this primal paleo health website and business and then i got a book called going off the grid Hmm. so it's getting confusing i'm confused i think my customers are confused everyone's confused and so i was thinking about it and i went "Ah, i don't really know where i'm going you know i'm on this journey and realizing i was in a journey of life simplification that's what i was doing and so i was working on the next book which was an RV living book because I started my journey. You know, I sold my house, took a huge loss, had to restart, sold all most of my belongings, rented a small cottage that was less than 500 square feet, and then moved into a travel trailer that I had bought. Hmm. So I'd been, I still live in my RV to this day. So part of the year. And so I had the next book about RV living, like how to start. Cause I did it. I, I just winged it. You know, I, I looked for stuff, but I'm all, I'm doing this a little differently than everyone else. So I'm, uh, I just, I didn't know much about RVs besides my grandparents had one, friends had them. I'd never owned one. So I wrote a book about just basically getting started the lifestyle. Some of my books have been written in my RV. Matter of fact, I ran my whole business remotely and part of my business was to run remotely, not be stuck in one place. And as I was doing that book, it was called The Simple Life was the the main title of the simple life something rv living i didn't have the subtitle worked out yet mm-hmm. and so i'm in my mind i'm all this is more confusing right going off the grid now a book on rv living yet it's called primal power method which is a health company mm. okay now we're really digging a ditch so i i talked to a guy who i'd met in the self-publishing world who was in marketing 
and I went, you know, I've got this title. You know, I'm going to – and because the success of the Going Off the Grid book, even he said, he goes, you need to take a stab at being a serious writer. He goes, your book's doing well. Um, people like it. Why don't you just go for it? I went, eh, okay. You know, being the dummy I am, sure, why not? Because writing is very difficult. I'll tell people if you want to try and make a living in the world, being an author is probably one of the absolute hardest ways to make a living. There's not a lot of money in it. So I decided to do that. And he goes, you know, I told him the title and he's all, you know, you know, series sell better. I think you have a series there. And I went, that's interesting you said that because I was thinking of a new brand as well. And I thought about it and literally 30 minutes after I talked to him, I talked to another friend who also is a marketing guy. And he said, you know, he goes, I think you have, you know, I think your new business is right in front of you, the simple life. And I went, oh, wait, just stop there. I think I got it. <laughs> you know, it just kind of boom, the light bulb went off. And I changed the direction of the company basically in a month, 30 days, new website, changed the look of the website and, you know, changed the, did a DBA for the business, everything. So it became the simple life and I released that first book, the simple life guide to RV living as the first book in the series of the simple life. And so the goal of that series was basically to teach people what I had learned and my journey in life of trying to live the life I want and not the life I'd been told I should live, right? All of us, pursuit of freedom. That's what I'm at. And that was it. That That's where it all transitioned. So you asking me a question five years ago or whenever it was, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> that just threw everything in a totally different direction because I was never going to write that book. Going off the grid was never going to be written. I had no intention of writing a book. Hmm. So now your latest book in this series is on uh – simplifying uh, personal finance and economics. So what led you into that topic? Yeah, uh, so the, it's the fourth book in the series, and they're all called The Guide To. So the next book after RV was The Guide to Optimal Health, because, again, cornerstone of everything I teach is health. Then the one after that's The Guide to Decluttering Your Life, which is about – you know, minimalizing and, and simplifying. It's not about folding your, you know, trying to get rid of your ugly Christmas sweaters and, and storing your 30 pairs of shoes and organizing them. It's about decluttering your life, getting rid of the noise. So I always have a different angle to the books that I do. Um, and then this one's the guide to financial freedom. So it's, I'm taking you on this journey and it's partially the journey I've been on. And as I learn, and I have a simple philosophy. It's button, time in the seat, button in their seat, and time in the salt mines. Knowledge and experience. That's all I write about. That's how I'm able to get my questions back to you right away. First of all, I don't like to procrastinate and wait on things. I want to get them done, move on. Well, I live what I preach. I already know the answers. I just, I just hit record. That's all I do. And for, not to say I don't research some of it, but most of it I don't have to. It's like my presentations. People are shocked. I don't use slides. I go up and I, 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 I speak off the cuff to my audience. To, I speak to the audience I have. And so this book is more about – not about – it's not an investment book. It is a personal finance book but done differently. I always like to do things differently because I don't like the common fare. I don't like the same thing rehashed over and over again, and that's why I self-published so I can control that. But this is about taking you from a journey as a child 
through your elder years and showing how much money we waste during that time. And that I do it with basic math, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. There's no algebra calculus involved. It's all basic math. You don't even need a calculator. You can pretty much do most of it on paper. And I wanted to show how simple it was that we don't have an earning problem in this country. We have a spending problem. And I use the first example is, you know, the average for minimum wage today, which I'm in Washington, we have it implemented, 15 bucks an hour, that that is $31,200 a year if you only work 40 hours a week. I don't know anyone that just works 40 hours a week unless they're a part-timer. Everyone pretty much has to work more than that today to survive. And that puts an average American in the richest 1% in the world. Well, that's a problem. You know, like I said, I, I'll, pr I prove all my points. It's all done by math. So I break it down and just show, you know, through all these pieces of life. So from not saving, you know, not earning an allowance and, and saving that money and not being, you know, paying, not paying cash for a car, going to college finance, uh, you know, a liberal arts degree for a hundred grand or whatever. The average student loans is like, I think around $40,000 now or something. It's something ridiculous. And then, you know, going from there, getting married, buying your house, then spending another 40 grand on your honeymoon, buying a house that you can't afford. It's much bigger than you need. And it's all these steps, you know, throwing away 40 pounds of clothes every year, spending ridiculous amounts of money on eating out, which I tabulated a family can spend up to a million dollars in eating out during their lifetime. If, uh, cause I've worked with clients on health. We sat down and we crunched the numbers. I've had multiple clients that spent over $30,000 a year eating out. And they couldn't figure out why they're sick and broke. When it's pretty obvious to me. And so I just take you through this and I tabulate it at the end and I'll just say it's over seven, well over seven figures that the average American will waste and get nothing out of. And I, my controversial ones, mortgages, I talk about mortgages. I've been in the real estate business for 20 years. That was my side hustle in the government. I've owned several properties. I own several properties. I've lost my butt on one property, and that was enough. That taught me my lesson. And so I break out how the American dream could be the American nightmare when done, done improperly. And guess what? Most Americans do it improperly. So I'm just trying to educate people so they can find their financial freedom because once you become debt-free – I am, and I have been for over a decade. I've, I've maneuvered and I, I've leveraged money here and there, but that's different than being in perpetual chronic debt. I use it to leverage to make more money or to get me something as close to interest-free as I can. And then my rule is if I can't pay it off in a year, I don't do it. That's just the bottom line. And so just teaching people, making better decisions and getting that freedom, I'm debt-free. Optimal health, and this is the three-legged stool I teach in The Simple Life. First one's optimal health, being the healthiest you possibly can be, and we all hear the excuses, my genetics, this, that. It's all a bunch of crap. You just work within, work within what you have, and you just optimize your health. You do the best you possibly can. Be financially free, debt-free. Find your life purpose. That's everything I teach, and I, I practice it. That's where it came from. My life is the best it's ever been by doing those three. And now I'm trying to do is have people kind of teach them how to do the same thing. So that's where the simple life comes from in that last book, you know, the most recent book. And there's more planned. 
There's more coming. Uh, I have a 12 Habits for a Successful Life is the book coming out next year in the Simple Life series. So it's all about just doing better and also being a better person. That's important to me in my older age. Um, I've been a dick. I've, I've been guilty of it. <laughs> so, you know, I just feel that we, we do. We treat each other pretty poorly and we don't need to. Um, we got to do better. And that's part of it, too, is just being a better person. Gotcha, gotcha, man. So one of the things you say in this new book is that the American dream of a house can be one of the worst investments a person can make during their life if they follow the real estate and financial industry and do exactly what they're told to do, what the right thing to do is. Why do you say that? Well, we're told basically, right, 30-year mortgage is the standard. The average person will own a home for six or seven years today, per my research. and that actually works well for me because that's about the average I've owned a house throughout my life. I've owned several houses. Well, it, it, the easiest numbers to do the average house today, uh, pre pre existing homes about two hundred fifty nine thousand dollars. New construction's closer to four hundred thousand. So let's use the pre existing home, which most will buy at a thirty year loan, thirty year mortgage. Well, most people don't put twenty percent down. So you're going to have PMI, you're going to have a higher higher payment, you're going to pay it down more slowly, and honestly, if you can't fund, find 20%, you probably can't afford it, to be honest. You shouldn't be buying it. Well, you that $250,000 house, if you were to keep it for 30 years, and this is just basic, you'll pay double. So it'll cost you a half million dollars for that house. So you have to make a half million dollars on that house when you go to sell it just to break even on what you paid for it. That doesn't include all the other expenses that come around with it. Your HOAs, your property insurance, your, you know, utility bills. Yeah, you're going to have those anyway. But all of it, you have to look at it in the big picture. Taxes, insurance, like I said, everything, your, your interest. When I calculate that, you'll spend, and remodels, because you're, you're going to remodel usually at least a couple times. And that's going to push you close to three quarters of a million dollars. It's pretty hard to break even on that. And that's if you do everything right. That's if your property goes up. That's if you don't have crashes in there. It has to go – everything has to work out for you just to hope to break even. And what I proved is even best-case scenario, you're going to lose money. And I show it in math. I break it out step by step. I put in every number, and I use conservative numbers. I use very conservative numbers. Matter of fact, the whole book is done on conservative numbers. My end number could easily be doubled if you, if things were to, you know, you, if you used bigger numbers, but I like to be very conservative. I don't want to make it sound in shock and awe. I want to give you realistic numbers. And that's why I tell people if you want to buy a home, 15 years, 20% down, bare minimum. It's the only way to do it. To make it work. That's the way the numbers work. Now, most people go, well, I can't do that. Well, figure something else out. Go rent. You know, um, renting's tough today, but it's still, you can look for deals. I mean, I reduced from my house when I got rid of it, I reduced by renting and I ended up in a, had a yard. It was a nice place. I reduced my outgoing cash flow by two thirds after I got rid of my house. Did I have to make some sacrifices and get rid of almost all my belongings? Yeah, but I wanted to anyway. <laughs> so it all worked out. And that's what I mean. We don't, we just don't think we buy a house that we don't need, you know, buy a house that you need. 
you know, a house is a place to live. It's not a status symbol. It's not a place where you're going to throw extravagant parties. I remember when I would sell houses, I flipped a couple houses, and when I sold my house in Albuquerque when I left, the, the, my house and out the last one I had was a beautiful house. And every I remember at least half the people would walk in and they go, "Oh, it's just too small in the kitchen and living room area. We like to entertain." <laughs> I would laugh and I, they it was they were watching TV shows. <laughs> They weren't entertaining. It's just we have this mindset of we're living some extravagant – It's I call it the Kardashian effect. I've seen it. People think they are something they are not. They think they're going to do something they're not. It's a place to live. A house is not a place to entertain. It's to sleep, eat meals, spend time with your family, go to work. You know, it's funny you need. said it's not a place to entertain. My wife loves those house hunting shows, and she she always whenever they say you know this will be great for entertaining, she's like you don't have any friends. And then like at the end of the show, they always show them with some people at their house. Like that's always how they show it. And she's like, look, there's them and their fake friends. And yep. I, I wonder how many people that are so obsessed with you know the entertaining space in a house maybe have people over two or three times a year if they're lucky. Well, it was like a good example of that in my house that I lost uh, all that money in in San Diego. I spent six months searching for the perfect dining room table. Now, needless to say, I was a single guy. <laughs> I'm in a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathhouse, and I spent six months of my life wasting hours and hours and miles and gas trying to find a six-person dining room table. I fell into it too. I know firsthand. I used that table five times, and that was it. It was a behemoth. It was the last thing I sold. It was the last big item I sold. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm telling you, we need to get back to reality. And what I prove is that every person in this country has the potential to be a millionaire. Everyone. Even if you make minimum wage, the numbers are there. At 15 bucks an hour, you will make more than a million dollars during your lifetime. Guaranteed. And yet... We, what do we complain about? I want more money. And we were talking about living wage before we started recording. I don't know what a living wage is. I don't understand that concept. I grew up poor. I made three thirty-five an hour to wash dishes. I didn't expect to be able to go out, get an apartment, go get a new car, and have an entertainment area in my apartment for three thirty-five an hour. I knew I was going to have to struggle. I needed to grab, get some skills. I needed to move up. And, and, and be able to support myself. I never went to my boss and said, Hey, Paul, who was my football coach in high school too. Go, Paul, hey man, you need to pay me more. I want to, I want to get a bigger place. And that's kind of where we're, our attitude is today. We look at an employer as a means to support us in the life we want. Not, not that I work for you. I'm exchanging my time for money. That's where we've lost it all. If you want a living wage, that's on you, and it's subjective. You need to figure that out. It's not my job as a business owner to make sure you can pay your bills. That's not my responsibility. Uh, my responsibility is to run a business, and I will pay you a fair rate. I'm not here to rip you off. I know there are businesses that will do that and take advantage of their employees, but you know what? If they're doing that, go get another job or create your own business.
And what we've done is we just ask for more. And the statistics put this out. The more money we make, we just spend more. We don't save any of it. So that rational rationale of thought is not – it doesn't work. So you ask for more money, but then you just go out and blow it. And I tell people, it's coming. If you don't get your act together, for me, I tell – I go, I don't need to do this. I'm, I'm fine. I'll be fine no matter what. But I'm also selfish. I want people to do better because the better everyone else does, it's better for all of us. Imagine that. You know, if we can all live within our means, we can all be healthy, live a life we want, find our life purpose, it's better for everyone. So yeah, I'm doing this a little selfishly, but I'll be fine no matter what. You know, Social Security is already putting out more than it's taking in. It's going to be insolvent in 16 years. Me and you, Jack, we're not getting Social Security by the I'm numbers. not counting on it. I'm you not know, counting. And I'll tell you what is if what might happen. Um, I don't remember how old you are. I'm 47. I think we're pretty close. Yeah. I think I'm 47. It's an odd year, so I have to be an odd number. That's as much as I pay attention. We might get it, but it ain't going to buy much. Nope. The government can print more money. I mean, you, people can say that can't happen, but they can do it. And there's, there is no such thing as government not being able to pay its bills. But what they can't control is what that does to the value of it. So mm-hmm. maybe you'll get 1600 bucks a month, but it might be a lot like today getting 160 bucks. Right? <laughs> well, Whatever you get, be happy you get it. But um, And I do think at some point that system has to break. And oh. I think right now we're in the middle of what was called back in the 70s and took a lot longer to happen than the people that predicted it said it would, but a demographic bomb. People are tired of basically being destroyed by the system, and one of the ways that they're fighting back is they're not having kids. Yeah. And that system, people think like you pay your money into Social Security and then the government holds on to it for you and then they give it back to you. No, Social Security literally is a legalized Ponzi scheme. The money you and I pay in Social Security taxes today, the day we stick it in there, they're paying it out to somebody that's drawing right now. That's how the system works. There's no lockbox. Like when Gore was talking about, remember remember that crap? Well, put the yep. money in a lockbox. There's no money to put in a lockbox. It doesn't exist. It, it's it's they, a yeah. an insolvent system. It's made solvent through printing enough money to keep it going. And, yeah, you're whatever you get, be happy, but don't bet on it. I'll tell you that. Well, and that's why I had to write this book, too, because there's a bazillion, you know, investing books. And I go, that's great. Just like there's a lot – there's more cookbooks. This is great stuff. We buy more cookbooks than we've ever bought in the history of humankind – and yet we cook at the least rate we've ever cooked our own meals in the history of mankind. <laughs> it's yeah. pure irony. And investing books, I go, no one has any money to invest. You need to figure out how to be, how to save and have the money to invest first. We put the cart before the horse. And everything I teach is not, it's not shock and awe. It's not, it's to help you, but also you need to look at money differently. I do what I do because I've, on your show, I've had many people email go, what are you prepping for? I go, nothing. I do live my life for more freedom. Prepping is a part of what outcome of what I do because I am prepared, but it's not my focus. My focus is about living the life I want, being happy and being free. And you have to look at money that way. I have a saying, money equals freedom. 
the more money you have, the more potential for freedom you have. The more freedom you have. I had a mentor have, that used to say life is like a shit sandwich. Oh, the, I use the that. more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat. Exactly. And right? I, use that. I mean, it's true. Yeah. It's totally true. And I tell people, and they think it's rhetorical that, you know, I say, well, the more, more money, more money you have, the more potential for freedom you have. Well, the more freedom you have, the less money t- it takes to maintain that. And I go, here's an example. I go, instead of asking for more money, how about this? You make the same wage. And instead of paying that $600 a month on that Lexus that you couldn't afford, you get rid of the Lexus. Maybe you live close enough to ride your bike to work for a year until you can save up enough money to buy a reasonable car cash. Well, you didn't get a raise, but now you have 600 extra dollars a month. So that you see how my saying works now. You didn't make any more money, but now you have more freedom. And, and I, I just, people get confused and I, and we vilified money today saying that, you know, the greed, and don't get me wrong. Hey, I got a big gripe against the 10 richest people in this country. Big gripe because they, they are doing nothing to help this country out. They're taking and that's what we've come to. We're, they're takers. But just because that, I don't say, well, take their money away from them. No, I want them to voluntarily do the right thing. I don't believe in taking from people, and that's what the government does to us right now. Taxes are a form of theft. It's just a legalized theft. But you still have to take your own personal responsibility because we still live in the best system in the world. I know. I've been all over the world. I've been in some shitholes. We're lucky. And we need to stop complaining about it and do something about it. And that's what my books are. They're action books. They're short, sweet, to the point. I want you to put it into action. I don't want you to put it on your shelf because over 80% of self-help books, I think it's 90%. I may have my stat wrong. People incorporate none of the information. 90% of people who read them will never incorporate one piece of that information. I don't want my books to do that. I want you to put it in action. I want you to teach other people. I want you to help other people out. Like I said – I'm selfish. I don't, I don't want it to turn into a shit show. <laughs> I want us, we should be living in Nirvana. We should be living in utopia. I don't know what, why humans have to destroy ourselves. I always say the biggest threat to humanity is humans. That's what we do. We're just destructive in the way we do things. So I'm just trying to help out. I call it putting a, a pinch of the positive change ingredients in the positive change pie. That's all I'm trying to do. And with this financial book, by breaking it down, I just felt no one had done it before. I just had never seen anyone crunch all the numbers and give you something to, to look at. And all of that, but I, I explained the difference between compound interest, interest, simple interest, amortization, how these things work, these basic concepts that are, that were built by the financial industry to keep us in debt. I mean, I have a saying too. There's no money in healthy people. Well, guess what? There's no, there's no rich people who follow our financial system today either far as getting in debt, financing your house, buying a car you can't afford, going and getting a degree that you shouldn't get and you can't pay for and never pay for itself again. You know, buying, you know, getting married and spending $40,000 on your wedding. All of it's geared to keep you in perpetual death. Our debt, we're making people rich voluntarily. And I know you'll agree with this. I use this as an economic example and the minimum wage example that Things like Walmart. You know, Walmart comes in and their business strategy is to find a place where they can basically take over all the businesses 
that they provide those goods for. Their goal – and people, I don't give a crap what you think. Walmart's pretty evil. I hate to say it, but they are. There's a lot of companies in this country that are geared towards nothing but profit. It didn't start that way, but that's the way it is now. They have a model that says, okay, we can get that sporting goods shop. We can get all their customers. You know, Now we got a grocery store. We can put those grocery stores out. We can take their customers. You ever notice that they, they target specific areas? Well, they wipe out all the mom-and-pop stores because they have the ability to sell those items far less. Well, now you're trapped because now what you've done by allowing that Walmart in your town, which I've never been able to figure out why small towns do that. It's suicide. You will either work for Walmart or shop from Walmart. <laughs> if you live in that, you got no choice. You're done. Well, that money doesn't stay in. The money you make, you can keep back in that town. But with the smaller mom and pop stores, that keeps the money in your community, right? So what you're doing is you're basically slitting your own throat. I take this as... Every time you buy that shiny object that you don't really need, every time you spend money on an item you don't need, well, guess what? You're taking freedom away from yourself. We're doing that all across the country today. I'm a big proponent of you of small business. To change the things you can change and control in your life and in your community. It's just like farming. 120 years ago, we were all farmers. Now, no one's a farmer except for big ag. You know, you got big pharmaceutical, big medical, all these things we spend all of our money on. If we went back to the small farmer model, first of all, it would be real food. Second of all, it would employ far, far more people. But we've gotten away from that. We're literally letting these big companies and big government rule our lives. And what I'm saying as a former insider of the government, we can take that back. The three-legged stool allows you to take that power back. Bring it back to yourself. Take control of your health. Be financially free. Be debt-free. Find your life purpose. So I know that, you do a lot of research, Gary. What was what was the biggest surprise to you when you were researching this book that you came across? There was a couple. The, the biggest one, and I don't want to pick on women, but one of the stats that stuck out, they did a survey of high school girls and asked them what their number one hobby was. 93% said shopping was their number one hobby and what they looked forward to. The average woman in America will spend eight years of her life shopping. Eight years. And don't get me wrong, guys do just as bad stuff. Uh, the personal care products that men, I mean, it was I, it was jaw-dropping. Uh, average American male will spend more, m more money on personal health or, you know, all this foo-foo stuff than I'll spend probably in my lifetime. I mean... I don't know why guys think they're going to be on GQ and they get their skinny jeans and I call their bedazzled pants. I don't know what, what we're thinking. <laughs> I mean, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know, and, man. My personal care items are basically I have a bar of lye soap and I do have a shampoo that smells like teakwood or some crap like that because my wife bought it for me and an electric razor. That's yeah. it. That's it. I go to the barber about once every six weeks and that's only when my wife yells at me. I, I I don't understand people that, you know, and it amazes me, like, when I go to the, uh, the place to get my hair cut, and they'll be like, well, do you want some gel or some, uh, what? No. Do I look like a gel kind of guy? You know? I mean, and I, I don't get that. I don't understand it at all. And, you know, 
I, I don't want to sound like we're too hard on people because if you are financially happy, if you could pay all your bills, you're saving, you whatever, and you want to piss away some of your money, I don't care what you spend oh, on. Oh, I don't care. But Knock when people out. bitch that they're broke and they're buying, you know, $5 coffees and hair gel and shit, you're like, what? I, well, that's that like hair gel's now. making you some money, dude. Right, if you're on gigolos or something, okay, yeah, man. But like, what are you doing, bitching about money while you have like exotic hair gel or whatever the hell you're using and and a five dollar latte? Well, yeah, and an average American family throws away over forty pounds of clothing a year, hmm. and not only that, but I, I the numbers I ran on health, as far as the average American family, depending, you know, you got to depending, I and mean, it's all subjective. That they can spend up to a million dollars eating out, destroying their health, making themselves miserable to be on multiple pharmaceutical drugs, you know, and spend the last 25 of the years in terrible health. We do it to ourselves. And that's what I'm trying to do is, is open up people's eyes. Cause what I have found, and I didn't think this, this journey, like I said, found me. I didn't even realize this stuff was sellable <laughs> in a way. That's the best way to put it. This was common sense to me. Right. I discovered it and I, you know, I'd always been better with money, but I didn't realize how lost the average American was. And what, what, what brought it to me was as I wrote these books and the feedback I was getting. And that's where all this journey went is people go, it's Groundhog Day. It's, I call it widget in, widget out. Mm -hmm. It's, we don't pay attention to anything that is important. And that's big media. And it's by design. Don't get me wrong. And I, I even wrote a, my first political chapter, and it doesn't even get into politics in my decluttering book about political tribalism. And it's about getting our eyes off the things that matter. It's shiny object again. It's get you focusing on something because once we focus in on ourselves, improving ourselves, bettering our family's life, bettering our community, well, guess what it does? It removes the power again from those people. It removes it from big pharma. Big medical, big companies, big government. You start to take the power back and you didn't have to fire a shot and you didn't have to keep smacking that 800 pound gorilla with a rolled up newspaper. It, it's, it's ground up. I tell people that's the way you change the system. I was in the government by bitching about the government all the time, getting yourself all frothed up, wound up saying your idea sucks because you don't believe in my side. That's exactly what they want. And I did my decluttering book. I broke out how much our politicians are worth today. Most of them came in, especially uh, in, in, the, in the Senate and, or in Congress in general. Most of them came in with not two nickels to rub together. All of, almost all of them are multimillionaires who stay. I mean Nancy Pelosi is worth over $100 million. Uh, I worked in the government for half my life. None of the guys I worked with were worth a hundred, weren't even worth a million, let alone a hundred million. Our politicians are absolute corrupt sociopaths. Don't waste your time on that. Worry about your community. Worry about your district, your, your district congressman. That's where you need to put your effort. That's where the change comes in. I just think we're, we're focusing on the wrong things and I've been guilty of it. That's, that's how I know, (laughs) you know, I've done it too. I'm not perfect. I'm not some life clairvoyant. You know, I learn by experience and I've made plenty of mistakes myself and I put them in my books. That's another thing I'm known for too. Simplifying it and I admit to all the stupid shit I've done as well. So in a, 
from a nuts and bolts standpoint, where do you recommend people start with putting their financial lives in order? The first place, there's two ways. The very first thing you need to do is actually figure out where your money's going. And this is something that came back when I dealt with people in health. It would almost always turn into a financial consulting <laughs> almost every single time. They go, oh, I can't afford sessions. Oh, I can't afford to – I don't have the money. And I, we would – invariably, I'd be at their house and go, we need to know where are you spending your money? And so that's where it came from And most – most, if I would say almost no Americans do this. I think this is part of the problem. They don't know where their money goes. They have no idea where they're spending their money. You need to come put everything on the table and tabulate what you're spending every month. Figure out where the heck your money's going. Because if you don't see it, it doesn't matter. And that's the problem. So start there. And then I always, we always go back to health. That's the cornerstone of everything I teach. And I think the eroding of our of our society today is our poor health. You know, a simple statistic I use is the average females five four 171 pounds, average male five nine 198 pounds. Each male and female were just a couple pounds away in this country from averaging obesity as a nation. We are already the most obese country and unhealthiest country in the world. Number two is China. China has 1.2 billion people. And they're number two. <laughs> we have a quarter of their population, and we're number one. We got some serious, serious health problems in this country, and everyone likes using this national health care debate. You're a veteran. I'm yeah. a veteran. You want to learn about national health care? Ask someone about how the VA works, no. how that system works. It's a nightmare, yeah. absolute nightmare. If you want everyone to have equal health care, you will be lucky if you get as good as VA does, which is bad. Because the, the thing that keeps VA from completely imploding is that there is a limited number of people yep. in the VA system, right? So you want that system for everybody. And you have a system where there's a lot of things I don't like about Donald Trump. But, man, at least being able to fire people from VA, right, without them robbing a liquor store uh, was a step in the right direction. You take that kind of bureaucracy and you apply it to our healthcare system and the quality is going to go to shit. My bigger concern right now is the cost is going to, it's going to cost. I don't care. I don't care how yeah. the bill gets paid, right? If you pay the bill by paying taxes, you got to pay it. If you pay the bill because you had to pay out of pocket, you had to pay it. And if you had to buy really expensive health insurance, it's still expensive. And the, the, the biggest expense in healthcare within 10 years is going to be directly related to type 2 diabetes. We're on a point right now where the, the epidemic of type 2 diabetes is so enormous that it literally will consume what is today's entire budget for all health care in 10 years. And that, well, is, and that is not... Okay, we've talked about genetics and stuff. You, you have 100,000 generations of people without this problem. Yeah. We did not genetically change in the last 50 years. We are the same. There is not a lot of genetic difference between you and me and a guy that ran around with a spear and an atlatl 50,000 <laughs> yeah. years ago. There isn't. I know people nope. want to believe nope. there is. The guy had the same brain we do. If you had given him access to the technology we have, he could do the same work we do. 
right? It, it, it's the same guy. And all of a sudden, like everybody's genes just went, oh, screw this, I'm going to give myself diabetes. That is not how that works. And that one expense alone, where people say it's more expensive to eat well, yeah, when you start talking to people and you go, well, so you're on insulin, yeah, and they're spending $800, $1,200 a month on insulin. I could eat, I don't know about you, I can eat really, really freaking good for less than that. Yep. Way less than that. So that whole argument that they can't afford to eat and then healthcare is expensive, I just saw a thing uh, come across today. They were making a taco out of cotton candy and ice cream. Ugh. Right? I, I'm, and I mean, I don't mean a little taco, right? That would be bad enough. I'm talking like an old school album size, like one inch thick. It looks like corning insulation. And then like three scoops of, of uh, you know, multicolor ice cream. And I'm like, you know what? The same people that say that, that healthcare is a human right and it should be provided to them for free, eat that. Yeah, and oh, you're and just in a world where you can't help yeah. people if that's where you want to be. You've got to separate from that system, and that's that's what your Simple Life series is really all about. Like, you have to get out of that system, or there's nothing anybody can do to help you. Well, not only that, but even that stat that literally in the next 12 months this country will average obesity. I think those numbers are low because I travel all across the country speaking now and book signings, and I'll tell you what: we aren't just big; we are massive. A hundred and think of that. A, a woman, an average woman today, five four, 171 pounds. I weigh 143 pounds. I'm taller, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't mistake me for a long distance runner. Yeah. I have an athletic build. The average woman has 30 pounds on me, and and my average weight. Well, I've gone full hunter gatherer, and I've let my body because I've experimented just to see where it would go. I'll weigh between 135, 137 pounds, and. Zero, I mean, I feel fine. There's no health effects because with that, you look at, at people of that size, 5'9", 198 pounds was an offensive lineman when I was in high school football. We're so big that we would, and our problem, type 2 diabetes is not a disease. Sitting your ass on the couch and <laughs> inhaling donuts and Doritos is not a disease. That's no, a, it's a life lifestyle illness. That's what yeah. it is. It's a lifestyle illness. It's not a disease. It causes a shitload of other diseases. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, the, one of the things we have to do to really understand how many people this is killing is understanding how many people go down officially as a heart attack. It was type 2 diabetes is why they had a heart attack. Or how many people we have yeah. that uh, go down for dying from cancer, they literally fueled their tumor cells with sugar, by eating, you know, a heavy grain-based diet and high fructose corn syrup at the same time, like well, th that's what's happening to people. I don't want to turn this into a full-on health discussion, but you can't ignore health because it is the like we don't even. I have I don't hardly ever go to a doctor. My single big, biggest expense in my life is health insurance. Yep, and I'm healthy, and it's my. Well, I, I pay more in health insurance for my wife and I as a self-employed person. Than I do for my house. Yep, and it's going to get worse. And what I tell people is, if we say we do get national health care, first of all, the government's going to, they're going to turn single payer. The government will want to run it. It's going to be overly bloated by at least double, bare yeah. minimum. Yeah. And the problem is, we are so unhealthy today that we will drive that system into insolvency almost immediately.
So it's not going to work no matter what. And why do you want to spend your entire life stressed out about, okay, I need health insurance. I need government to take care of my health insurance. If I don't get that, I'm screwed. I actually had a long debate about a girl who really pissed her off when I told her it's not my, it's not my problem to make sure you have health insurance and pay for it because you don't take care of yourself. That's not my problem. And then social security. You're waiting around for the government to take care of your retirement. Well, guess what? My parents did that and I spent the last two decades trying to get their finance, tell them to get their finances in order. They listened to absolutely nothing I said. They, we were poor, grew up poor. They're still poor. Guess what my 70 something year old parents are doing right now? Probably working at Walmart going, hi, welcome to Walmart. Here's a car. They had to go, they had to go get jobs. Yeah. And do you want to be that person? I tell people, it's very simple. Make the pain now and live the life you want later. And I'm telling you, my life, I'm sure you, Jack, you, I know you say, my life's great. I don't worry about the stuff the average American worries about. I don't. And I would rather everyone live that lifestyle too because 70% of Americans hate their job. Absolutely hate it. Not dislike, hate it. They would quit tomorrow if they could. We're in this this system now where what I'm trying to – and I don't want to beat people up either. That's not my goal. But what I'm saying is we're self-perpetuating our problems. And just by taking you know, all the teach you've taught for years, you know, self-reliance, self-responsibility, once you do that and you change your life, especially on the health side, I always tell people all those – the reason I teach it first is all the stuff that I teach after is way easier. The first thing that people do better when they get their health in order, make better decisions. Almost instantly. It's like there, because you, when you're in a brain fog and you're unhealthy and you're eating food that literally has no nutritional value to it, guess what? Your brain doesn't work. You make a lot of bad decisions. You're angry. You're irritable. You get your health in order. Guess what? All of a sudden, that stupid shit you used to do before kind of goes away. And that's why I preach it so hard. Is it's kind of where you need to start. It's figure out your finances, get your health in order. Everything else will just fall into place. It's not perfect. You know, I'm not saying it's, you got to work on it. You know, I always say a rich asshole is still a rich asshole, or is still an asshole. You know, you, it's, you got to fix things along the way. And that's all I'm trying to do. I, I hope it helps. You know, I'm not going to stop doing it. This is my life purpose. This is what I do. Uh, gotten a lot of good feedback. On the Simple Life series, people really appreciate it. There's more to come. You know, there's more books coming. And uh, speak at all the Mother Earth news fairs now. I spoke at all of them this year. It's fun. I don't even consider what I do work anymore. There's parts of it. But overall, you know, this is, I think, how we're meant to live. I mean, humans were meant to be free. Well, let's talk about what we weren't meant to do. We were not meant to have a gerbil wheel called a mortgage and a mobile metal coffin called a car and then spend about 12 hours a week in the mobile metal coffin to go to a place called work to pay for the house that we barely live in. That's one of the things we weren't meant to do. We were not meant to eat ice cream wrapped up in cotton candy. Okay, no, we were not meant to do that. Like, I, I... and I'm not a prude. There's a place for indulgences here and there, but if it's an in- one of the things I think we've we've lost is like when I was a kid, I remember that like on Sundays after church, 
My, either my grandfather or one of my great uncles would take me up to the gun club. And for those who don't understand what a gun club means in rural Pennsylvania, it's a bar that people talk about guns at, and maybe somebody shoots some skeet outside once in a while, right? And there was a soda that was local called a green spot. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's like they, they're different flavors of fruit flavors. They kind of actually remind me of the Mexican sodas that are still around today. Okay. And But they came in those little, like, remember the eight-ounce Coke bottles? Yep. Okay? So I got to go sit with the old men and actually see what men acted like, by the way. That's another subject altogether we don't have time to go yeah. into today. Yeah. And have my little eight-ounce green spot while they had a, you know, a beer or a whiskey. I got that soda once a week. So I felt like that was a treat. If you are drinking... 24-ounce, 32-ounce sodas multiple times a day, it's not a treat. It's not an indulgence. It, and just, like, put aside even how bad it is for you, right? Because it's awful. And, by the way, that soda back in the 70s didn't have high fructose corn syrup in it either. I'm just saying. Nope. But you have now taken something that is, like, just a ridiculous level of sugar that should be seen as, like, you know, when you were a hunter-gatherer, you found this ridiculously overripe persimmon tree, and oh, and you only had it for like five minutes. It was gone. And maybe you found one of those two or three times in a season. And now you've made it like a continuous thing to where now the rest of everything you eat pales in comparison to from sweetness because you've destroyed your ability to even perceive something as unique. And then I know that's a health topic, but that's really like a metaphor for Everything in life, we're so desensitized that we think we need more and more of everything because we never do without anything, if that makes sense. No, and that's the thing. It's the typical, you know, history repeats itself. And I'm actually rereading Atlas Shrugged right now. I read it, you know, I've seen the movie, I read the book. I'm rereading some of the classics, which I've, I reread about every 10 years I've noticed. I'll go back and reread the classics. And it's amazing that we've learned nothing. I mean, everything in that book is 100% relevant today. We are going down that road. And she was writing that at the point of the Industrial Revolution and someone who came from, you know, socialist Russia, communist yeah. Russia. So her perspective is very interesting. And to see it written in a fictional format, I, I think she was a genius. I mean, I, the writing now looking as an older adult, I'm a wow. How did she ever do this? It's pretty amazing. Whatever your political – whatever your views. I read things differently. I don't look at political views. I look at the information. And that's the thing too is how many people do you – you know, in this country have become millionaires off flavored water? <laughs> There's another new company that just came out. Fucking flavored water. Are you kidding me? Drink water. Can you just put water in your if mouth? If you really want it to be flavored like – it's not hard to make water flavored either. No. Crush a couple blackberries into your water, right? Squeeze yep. a, squeeze a thing of lemon juice into your water. If you want it to be sweet, put a drop of one drop of stevia. Like when I talk to people about getting healthier and cutting out sugar and all, they're like, "Well, what do I use for a sweetener in my coffee? What do I use it? You know, my sparkling water, or whatever." Okay, for like a month, do nothing. Yep. Do nothing because what'll happen is that person will end up like throwing three tablespoons of erythritol into their coffee, right, to make it sweet. And, if and then they, put their they, pants they, later in the day. Yeah, right? If they, if, they drink, <laughs> if they drink that coffee with nothing in it, maybe a splash of you know, good cream or something for like a month, and they do decide they want it sweetened, 
then they'll use like a quarter teaspoon of of a of a you know sugar alcohol or a, a drop or two at the most of stevia, and it'll taste very very sweet to them. And a person that's been using really really sweet stuff would taste it and go, I don't taste any sweetness at all. Like they have to decouple from that. Because I'm not like I'm not a prude, and if you want sparkling water with uh, yeah, flavor in it, go fine. ahead. I'll tell you what, Gary, I buy sparkling water with flavor in it. You know why? Because I fucking can. All right, because yep. <laughs> yep. I can. I, you, but you won't hear me go, Gary. I don't have any money for my supplements, and I don't have any money for good quality grass fed beef. Right? Like, and the reason I can is because I live the way you're talking about for most of my life. That's why yep. I can. And, and what people seem to want is they want the ability to be able to say, I can have whatever I want, but they don't want to do any of the work that leads up to actually getting to a point where you can, so they do it with a credit card, and they do it with a payment plan or whatever, and they never own anything, and by the time they're ready to retire, they're deeply in debt, and most of the stuff they bought is gone or it's worthless. You've got to pay somebody to take it away. Well, and that's the thing is it's instant. We're just totally an instant gratification. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm the same as you. Hey, I eat out every once in a while. It makes me not feel so good. But I do it every once in a while. When you're healthy, you go eat out. You'll feel the repercussions of that food and you'll realize how unhealthy it actually is. But that doesn't mean don't treat yourself every once in a while. I have flavored sparkling water too. I use it to mix it in my vodka. So it works out perfect. (laughs) You know, I want a cocktail every once in a while. Well, that's what I do. But I don't drink flavored water all the time just because of my coffee, black. Yeah. I just drink my coffee. I like my coffee black now. I drink coffee that's 16 to $23 a pound. That sounds crazy, but I'll I'm going to tell you right now that I spend less money on coffee than the average young American does. I drink the very best, but I drink a cup of coffee that I make in a freaking French press mug. Oh, I yeah. boil water and I dump it in there. And coffee, did, did you know that if you put hot water on coffee, it makes freaking coffee? Did yeah. you know that, Carrie? Isn't that yeah, crazy? Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing like, You don't have to go to Starbucks and stand <laughs> in line behind some pain in the ass. It's like, I want a half-calf, half-decaf, oh. mocha latte with a wisp of cinnamon, and make sure the foam's not too thick but not too thin. Yeah, their 1,000-calorie latte that yeah. they're going to have three of in the day. And, and then it's they... $5.45 a piece. Yeah. Right? And, and then that same person says, I want free health care and I don't have enough money and college should be free. Well, yeah, and I always tell people there's no money in healthy people. So no, no. There, there's a reason for that. And and that's the thing is this personal responsibility. Like, I think we're both we, – we know each other a long time. We're not trying to beat people up. I'm just no. trying to give you the information so you can make make the right, right decision. And with that, change your life because uh, you don't have to live this way. It doesn't have to be that way. And another thing is one thing I didn't see coming was that people – when they come after you, they come after you not because of of your information. Today, people attack people out of jealousy. I you got to change that philosophy. I've gotten that way too. I tell people, I look to people above me as motivation. I want to get to their level. I don't want to belittle them and say I can't do that. They had all this. No, 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 no. I want to figure out how I get there, and I need to put in the work to get there, right? And I I always tell people, don't start a sentence with, I can't. Go, okay, I want to get to that place. How do I do it? What do I need to learn? What do I, what steps do I need to put in place to get there? 
And and with health, it's a big one because that's why I always start with health too and tell people to start there because it's the hardest one for people. And if you can make it 30 days, if you can stay strict for 30 days, it's almost impossible to snap back to your old habits because it's too painful. It, like I said, it will give you that enlightenment of you will see just how badly you are poisoning yourself <laughs> before because now you've cleared it all out. Now you've got some structure. Now you're on the right path. You add those things in and it has serious repercussions. And I tell people, most people can't tell that they don't feel well today because no one feels well. Everyone's in the same boat. I couldn't believe the amount of antacids and Pepto-Bismol and heartburn that are consumed in this country every year. I don't consume any of those. I, 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 don't, I don't. And I've had I've had three throat surgeries. I had a mechanical problem break in my LES. And I, I mine was a mechanical issue. These are dietary issues. Yeah. I mean, these are purely you're doing it to yourself. And that's the thing. We just have to come to the the grips of stop blaming everyone else. I've been guilty of it too. I've done it. It does nothing. It. You can blame everyone you want in the world. I always say this. No matter how bad you have it, someone else has it much, much worse. So stop your complaining and do something about it. And, and I think with that mindset, it helps, you know, because I think playing the victimhood and waiting for everyone else to take care of you, it's a rough road and it's not going to end well. And I'd rather be in charge of my life and in charge of my destiny than waiting for someone else to make those decisions for me. And if it's the government and big business, oh boy, it's going to go really bad. And you just have to look at it. And we were talking about that too of, uh, you know, like Walmart and big companies. And I'm not saying not buy things from big companies. I live in the sticks, man. I have to buy stuff on Amazon sometimes because I can't find it anywhere else. But I don't buy everything that I can buy around me off of Amazon. I buy the things in my community first. And here's a perfect example of the way I run my business. And I don't want to go long-winded on this, but people, a lot of people don't know how I run my publishing side. I do all this myself. I published a book with Mother Earth News. I've gotten some other offers. I might do some more. But I run. I own my books. And I'm the only guy I know in the indie world who does it my way. I have a distribution company of my print copies out of Tennessee. Really nice people. I own my print. So I pay to have my books printed by a real American in the U.S. on ethically sourced paper. That's a big deal to me. It costs me tens of thousands of dollars a year to do it that way. I don't do print on demand. I don't do it because that's my way of controlling, help controlling my destiny, but doing my part to make sure I'm helping support the system. Every time you make that decision to do something like that, again, you're taking away from yourself because these big companies can survive. They're the ones that can automate. They can use AI. They can use robotics. I can't. I have to employ people. People are my resource. And the further we get away from that, well, guess what? The harder it's going to be for you to survive, but you're doing it to yourself. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of Supporting your community. Keep the money in. I'm not saying never shop at Walmart or ever buy anything from Amazon. You know, but use, use things as a tool. 
support the things that are going to help you out and help your community out. And instead, we just we spend like drunken sailors. We buy so much crap. When I left San Diego, I don't know anyone on the block that could put a car in their garage. Every door that was open, it was to the rafters with crap. Hmm. You know, we just have to get away from that mindset. It's not stuff that makes you happy. You know, it's what you do in life and how you live your life is what makes you happy. So you lived a really nomadic lifestyle over the past few years. How has that impacted you? What challenges have there been? And how has that actually probably helped you with the concept of keeping things simple? You know, it, what it does is it's kind of – I go back. You know, everything I use, I, a lot of stuff I use is the hunter-gatherer, right? Like you said, humans haven't changed for you know roughly 2 million years genetically, digestively. The only thing that's changed is our diet and the way we interact and our environment. That's what's changed, not us. So for me, you know, hunter gatherers couldn't accumulate things, right? They had, when they went, they were nomadic. They had to put whatever they could get on their back, which was usually something in a deer skin or something, and they left. They had to pack it all up and go. They didn't even have a friggin' wheel at that point, right? So it, it, and there was no, um, there was no hoarding. There was no taking more than your fair share. You'd get booted right out of your tribe. They go, yeah, you know, you didn't hunt that. You don't get three steaks today. Get out of here. Go on. Go hunt your own food. So I look at it kind of in a way that way. Uh, what it does is it keeps things light. I have to – you know, I can't accumulate things. I, I, I don't want to anyway. Don't get me wrong. I have nice things. I like nice things just like everyone else. But A, I can afford them, and B, I have space for them. I don't hoard things. And so for the, the lifestyle, I just like it. I got the bug back in the day um, of moving around. I like not being in one place for very long. That's not for everyone. I get that. But it kind of keeps it fresh, but it also keeps me – keeps things down to a minimum. And what it taught me too is how to run a business off few things. I run my business on a laptop, a phone, my iPhone, and a, a Wi-Fi hotspot. That's it. The average American's got a smart a health tracker watch, smartwatch, phone, e-reader, maybe multiple e-readers, desktop, laptop, you know – it just goes on and on and on. And I go, do you need those things? Do you really? And, and that's in the book as well. Everything I use today, for the most part, don't get me wrong, I have things that entertain me, but I look at things as a tool. How is it going to better my life? Not that it gives me joy, which some great books claim. If I went with it gives me joy, in which most Americans do, that's why your garage is full of crap because you're going to say everything gives you joy. I want it to be a tool. My drill does not give me joy. My drill drills holes. That's what it does. That's what I need it for. Sometimes you know when I, I drill a hole, it gives me joy, though. It does. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. When I take my saw out and I drop a dead tree, it does. It's kind of a yeah, – I kind of yeah. like it. But you know what I mean? It's kind of getting out of that mindset, and it's helped me a lot. It, it just keeps things simple. It really keeps things down to a bare minimum. And when I leave my off-grid house, which I'm getting ready to because it's getting close to winter – you know, I go live in my RV still, and it's not a big RV. It's not a monster. It's a 24-foot travel trailer. That's it. You know, and I go back to that. And so, yeah, my life, it's different. But you know what? There's a lot more people doing it than people are aware of. Like I said, I interviewed uh, Congressman Thomas Massey out of Kentucky. He's been living off the grid for 13 years, him and his family. They're uh, homesteaders as well. 
it's a little, it's getting more mainstream. It's a good life. It's not for everyone. And I'm like you, everything I teach is not about living the way I live. You can implement all the things I teach, whether you live in a big city, small town, remote, off grid, whatever. It works across the board. I'm not telling you you have to sell all your belongings and be Gary. Matter of fact, I'd tell you don't do that. It's your journey, not my journey. Your journey is going to be different than mine. You know, you can take pieces of it, but you have to figure that out on your own. It's like living off grid. If you were to take a hundred people that live off grid, you would find no two out of that hundred that did it exactly the same way. Every, everyone who lives off grid does it completely, does it differently. It's almost like freedom is a good thing. <laughs> what, what, wait, what was that? It was almost like freedom is a good thing. No, I'm joking. Yeah. yeah. You know, that crazy thing we all have. And that's the thing in this country. We all have free will still. We still have freedom of choice. What's that? Uh, oh, I'll go back to a, a rush song. If you, if you haven't made a choice, you've still made a choice. It's that, you know, yeah. that's what you have to realize is you're still in charge of it. You've just been kind of brainwashed to think that you don't. And once you step outside of that box, I call it one, one foot in, one foot out. Am I still within society? Yeah. But also I'm one foot out where I, I play by my own rules. I don't go out and break laws and – well, even when you're breathing today, you're breaking a law or regulation. You know I mean you in your sleep, you're breaking some law. But what I'm saying is I don't go out and do things maliciously you know, to better my life. It's more of I play by the rules, but within those rules, I can still live the life I want. Pretty simple. So oh. – what would be some advice you'd give to anyone who's interested in a simpler life, remote lifestyle, anything like that? Where, and, and where can they learn more about what you do? My website is thesimplelifenow.com. Don't go to The Simple Life. That will be Nicole Ritchie and Paris Hilton's website. Um, it's still around. Didn't know that when I got the domain. But that's the best place to go. I don't use a ton of social media. I use Pinterest and Twitter here and there. I don't use Facebook. So – Within my community, the best way is to sign up for my updates, which is the simplelifenow.com forward slash freedom. That's the best place to stay up to date. I have a podcast now. Uh, people have been asking for it for years. I finally have the bandwidth to do it. It's called Your Better Life. Make it simple, stupid. And that's my podcast. It's brand new. Um, it's going really well. I love doing it. But the best place to start for me it starts thinking about your life purpose. And I define that as something you would do even if you weren't paid to do it. I know that sounds a lot of woo-woo, fold your legs, sit out in the forest and chant, but it's not that. I think it's a huge problem we have today is a lot of people lack life purpose. And start thinking about that and figure out from there kind of all the other pieces will come together too. But you need to get on the health there's anything you need to do right now, and it doesn't cost you a dime, right, Jack? You can turn around right now after this, after you listen to this podcast, you can start changing your health right then and there. Right there. Immediately. 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 So that's where I, the, the advice I give. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us today. I think everybody should check out your books, check out your website. Uh, the website, again, is thesimplelifenow.com. You can get Gary's email newsletter there. You can find out more about his books. 
you can find out about his podcast. It's kind of the hub for everything. And, Gary, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Jack. So I always enjoy having Gary uh, here. And, again, I've got links to everything in the show notes for the show today so you can check out his book series. We were talking about, you know, holding the coffee at the beginning uh, with Nicole's coffee for for um, Christmas as a, as a gift. Man, the entire Simple Life series would make a hell of a gift for somebody, especially a young person. Imagine if a lot of you guys are like in your 40s and 50s, and maybe you've been listening to the show for five or ten years even. Imagine if the, the things that we talk about here on the Survival Podcast have been laid down in you as a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old in a foundation of knowledge, um, and you had lived the way that we teach here your entire life. Where would you be today? Maybe that young teenager is getting out of high school and fixing to go off to college. Maybe a grounding in something like the Simple Life would be a good thing for them. You know, maybe before they get themselves an $85,000 worth of debt and a degree that uh, that maybe will never pay for itself. I'm just saying. It might be worth it. It might be a good idea. With that, hey, if you uh, if you want to support this show, you guys, you know, Gary's all about the Simple Life, but, you know, people do buy stuff. And most people do buy stuff online, and they hear Gary even said he buys stuff from Amazon. I buy stuff from Amazon all the time. Uh, I actually, Gary's a little hard on big corporations. I'm less so. I mean, I look at something like, you know, people like Jeff Bezos. Blah, blah. Jeff Bezos employs more people than anybody else in the world as far as I know. Uh, there's an awful lot of people in my backyard right here that have nice houses that work at an Amazon facility that's only a little bit away from here. So I love what Amazon does, honestly. I'm not saying they're perfect. They have plenty of things I don't like about them. But uh, when it comes to being able to order things, getting it at an affordable price and delivered to your house, no one touches them. So if you're going to be doing your online shopping, consider starting at tspaz.com, and no matter what you buy, you'll help out the survival podcast and the work that we do. As I was thinking about what item to bring you guys for item of the day today, I, it kind of dawned on me that it's been kind of cold at night here lately. Not cold enough for me to care, but it's you know for Texas, it's like people are out in you know big coats and stuff because it's 50 degrees, and that means in other parts of the country it actually is getting cold and winter's on the way, and we always got to be prepared for winter. And backup heating is really important. So I brought around today the DuraHeat kerosene heater. What? My God, Jack, don't you know how dangerous those things are? They're going to kill you, man. Hold on. Calm down. Let's take a look at this concern. We now live in a society where they put do not iron clothes while wearing them as a warning label on irons. Think about that for a moment. Oven doors have a warning not to stand on them and use them for a stepladder. Yeah, my oven came with that warning. So do you think if kerosene heaters were the death machine some people claim that any company would be in the business of selling them today? Safety is a concern, which is one reason I like the model I'm recommending to you today. If you bump it hard or it gets tipped over to shut itself off, it has a great heat cage to prevent accidental, accidental burns. It's just a great thing. I know what you're thinking now. What about CO2? You fool, we'll all die. Okay, take a breath and let me ask you, When exactly was the last time you read a headline that said kerosene heater kills family of four? Anyway, yes, CO2 is produced when burning any organic fuel, but here's the basic rules of using a heater. Do not use it in a small closed room. And don't tape the door shut when you do that too as well, right? Always make sure your wick is in good condition. Don't burn the flame too high, and if it's smoking, it's too high. And crack a window or two to allow a bit of circulation. The last one's probably not even needed with modern heaters, but it's such a cheap insurance policy, it's no reason not to do it. Let me tell you what, these things work. They're the most efficient form of backup heat you can get. 
Um, the only reason I don't use them myself anymore is when we moved to Texas, there's just not a good supply of kerosene around here. Kerosene is either expensive or hard to get. There's a couple gas stations sell it, but they're not close to me. So we went off kerosene when we moved here from Pennsylvania many, many years ago. I gave my heaters away to my friends in, in Pennsylvania when I did. If I lived where I could just go down to any old station and get kerosene at the pump for the price of diesel fuel, it is I would still be using them. They are way more efficient than a propane space heater. They radiate heat at 360 degrees. We had a 2,200-square-foot home in Pennsylvania, and with temperatures in the low teens, we were able to heat a 2,200-square-foot house with two of them, one on the upstairs floor and one on the downstairs floor, and be relatively comfortable when the power was out. Uh, they saved our bacon. They might save yours, too. Uh, again, I'm back to, I recommend you go with a backup heating source depending on what fuel availability you have. If you live in the northeastern United States, Midwest, et cetera, or every other gas station has K2 at the pump, this is the best thing you can get. This is the best model I have been able to find. I've been recommending the same model for several years now. Uh, it's got a lot of really great reviews. Uh, I've checked into the safety on it, the features on it. If I had to buy one tomorrow, it's the one I would buy, and they're only 140 bucks. And I'll tell you what, the day your power goes out in January and you have this, and you have t 10, 20 gallons of kerosene put up, your 140, you will not even worry about that $140. That will be the last thing in your mind. This is the best. And that's shipped for free to your house for a fairly bulky item, by the way. That's why I don't hate on Amazon. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up and tell you about the song of the day today. This is called Redemption Day. And this is kind of a, I believe this was done kind of an after-the-fact thing, a duet with Sheryl Crow and Johnny Cash. And here's how that happened. Sheryl Crow wrote this song and, and recorded it. Johnny Cash decided he wanted to cover it, and he actually spent a lot of time talking to Sheryl Crow about this. He uh, talked to her on the phone, explained parts of it. He, she said he wanted to perform it as though he had written it. He wanted to make it part of him before he did it, and it was a huge honor to her. And I don't think they ever performed it together. I think what they did is they took the two recordings and made a duet, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Sheryl Crow has a beautiful voice, and Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash. Um, And this is like a song you would think, if you would have heard Johnny Cash perform this, uh, he pulled it off, That you know tried to make it as though he had written it. He tried to live it as though it was his own song. But I don't think even if, if that was the case, I think if somebody just gave you the lyrics to the song and said, this is a Johnny Cash song, you'd be like, oh, yeah. You'd just expect that this was a Johnny Cash song. Um, this was the last song that Johnny Cash released before he passed away. Um The song was inspired, Cheryl visited Bosnia with Hillary Clinton. Uh, I know I'm rolling my eyes too, I understand. But she saw the war-torn nature of, of, of the place, uh, the aftermath of genocide. And at the same time, there was genocide going on in Africa that we just let happen. And she said she wondered why we invest in some places but not others. And I'd, I'll give you an answer to that, Cheryl. You mean well, but... We can't fix everything in every part of the world. And in fact, a lot of the things that are going on, the redemption day is the fact that we caused it. And there is a point where if this country would stop interfering, there's still horrible things that are going to happen. But um, we have enabled a lot of war-torn parts in the world to stay war-torn for a lot longer. And I, I do understand that there is still a place where, at times, the United States, with the power that we have, can step in and put a stop to things. 
And there's places and times where you can make the case to me that maybe we, we did the right thing when we did, or maybe we should have done something. But overall, I think that one of the best things that this country could do is start to realize that we need to fix our own shit within our own borders and leave everybody else the hell alone. And if we do that, the world might find some equilibrium. Because a lot of things that go on go on because it is expected that we're going to intervene. It's, there's no easy answers here. But I would say to most people, instead of worrying about the people that are halfway across the world, whether it is to help them or because you think they want to hurt you, worry about your neighbor. Worry about the people that are hungry in this country. Worry about the people that are suffering in this country. It even amazes me. I have family members that are deeply involved in their church, and their kids, my, my niece and my nephew, have always been involved in the youth groups in the church, and they go on mission trips. And they drive halfway across Texas to find four poor people to build houses for and stuff. Now, look, I understand there's some character building and traveling like that, and kids like it and what have you, and, and, and it, it helps do things and helping people like that it, yeah i'd much rather help people right here in texas than than help people in say what or whatever uh, i get that but when i see their church do that and i think how much more money and and resources are necessary for you know parents and and buses and vans and lodging to go travel for a week out in you know some some part of texas and i look and there's People that could use that help right in their own town. And I think, why don't you go there? Then you won't have to spend money for lodging, and then you won't have to have so many parents for chaperones, and then maybe instead of doing it once a year, you could do it, I don't know, once a month. Just my thoughts. And when I think about redemption and taking care of people and helping people, I think generally your backyard is where to start, Across the street is where to go next, around the block after that. Just my thoughts. And maybe this nation could find some redemption if we started realizing we shouldn't be telling the rest of the world how to live. With that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I've wept for those who suffer long. But I we for those who've gone Into rooms of grief and question wrong But keep on killing It's in the soul to feel such things But weak to watch without speaking Fire rain.
rages in the streets And swallows everything it meets It's just an image often seen On television Come leaders, come ye men of great Let us hear you pontificate Your many virtues laid to waste And we aren't listening There is a train That's heading straight To heaven's gate To heaven's gate And on the way Child and man and woman wait, watch and wait for redemption day. What do you have for us today? Throw us a bone, but save the place. There no oil to excavate, no riches in trade for the fate of every person who died in hate. Throw us a bone, ye men of greed. There is a train that's heading straight to heaven's gate, to heaven's gate, and on the way. Child and man and woman wait, watching wait for redemption day. It's buried in the countryside. Hidden in the shells of night, it's everywhere a baby cries. Freedom, 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 freedom.